Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. Joining us once again today is Dr. Lars Gunner. Dr. Gunner recently made a move from Pasadena, California to Franklin, Tennessee. In the process of making that move, he's learned some things that can benefit anyone who's looking to start a practice, and even some of us who already have. So without any further ado, Dr. Lars Gunner. Dr. Gunner, thank you for joining me today. Hey, David. Thanks for having me back. You bet. So we're going to talk a little bit about practice building. Um, and in this case, we've, well, we've got a little, bit, a little bit of a different scenario because you're building your second practice. But strangely enough, I'm actually building a second practice while still running my first practice. So we've kind of got, we've maybe got four practices here that we can talk about. So, uh, so that'll give us a chance to talk a little bit differently. But you made the move of leaving your practice in Pasadena and moving to Nashville. And so I want to talk a little bit about Pasadena first. Um, and I guess, first off, what, what made you decide to make the move? And when you decided to make the move, did you realize how big of an ordeal it was going to be? Did you realize what you were really in for? Um, and what really got convinced you that through all that work, it's going to be worth it. I should do this. Oh man. <laughs> if I knew what I had to do leaving Pasadena to rebuild, in uh, Nashville, Franklin area. I don't know if I would have the will to do it because majority of building practice building is, is like embracing the will, having your mind made up and accessing that power in yourself where it's like, no, 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 this is where I'm going to go. This is where I know I'm going to be. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to do it. And it isn't until you look back that you can actually see the, the trajectory you took. So you kind of come off of like a, like a big leap of faith with the will to do it. Um, Pasadena move to Franklin was, was a big family move. And then also it was like in the midst of, of COVID. So it was a mix of wanting to raise my family in a more family oriented state. And then also realizing that California was not going to return to the California that we once knew it as. And so partly not like not getting political, but partly all the closures and what I really saw the writing on the wall and everything constricting. And then also the taxes and everything of the sort, it just seemed like a more, viable solution to work the same amount or maybe even work a little bit more and then be able to keep a lot more because that's the whole thing in business it's, it's not how much you make it's how much you get to keep get you get yeah. to keep and um a lot of the reasoning for staying in california the beauty the romanticism of it just really wasn't there for me anymore so it led to the big jump and basically i picked a pin on the map and drove i really had no community here i had no network. I had no office. I had nothing. And so it was a big, the, my mind's made up. This is where we're going to go. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know if I'm going to do it big. I don't know if I'm going to do it small, but I know I'm going to do it. So let's, let's just go. <laughs> yeah. And that's a kind of a contrast to my second office where it's already a successful office. It already had patients flowing in. All I had to do was show up and start seeing patients. And so when it comes to like, well, how did you market it? I didn't do anything. I showed up. I started seeing patients really easy. In your case, you show up and I guess that's one of my questions is how did you get your first 10 patients? <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't mean, know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I first got here, I had plans to open an office, uh, a vertical chiropractic office with Bobby Phantom. And I guess side story, I'd never met him. 
and I spoke to him maybe September 2020. I moved in December 2020. We had a couple patients back and forth that we exchanged, um, and then we exchanged words on social media a couple times. And then I, I saw on his Instagram one day that he said he moved from Colorado to California, and then he did not open an office right away, and he started seeing patients out of his house. And I had never done that. I had always just had an office. I was very fortunate to walk into an office and be able to build with a physical entity, even without a practice. But I was really just jumping and I didn't know if I wanted to jump into the whole office scene right away because I was a little tired and I wanted to adjust to the area. But I messaged him and I was like, hey, want to pick your brain. I know you did this. What was it like? And him and I got on a call and we jammed for like two hours and he basically just told me what I already knew. I guess I just needed to hear it again was... You make money where you spend money, be kind. When you start getting your patients, help them and you'll build a practice. And I was like, okay, not rocket science. I, I know how to do that. The very next day he calls me and he goes, you want an open office together? <laughs> and I laughed and I was like, well, let's marinate on it. Let's get to know each other. And and it was it was basically a soft yes. It was intriguing. And him and I, over the, the coming months, we would have a couple calls a week and we got to know each other and we started forming a business plan. And then I then I launched from there. But even when I got to Nashville, we didn't have an office location. We didn't have any business contracts. It was basically like a gentleman's agreement over the phone. And we had actually never met in person up until this point. And so I show up. I have a house not too far outside of Franklin. It's maybe about 10 minutes away. And I think my first two patients were from another state. They're from South Carolina. And they were referrals from a current patient that I had in California. So they drove six hours to see me and when they already had chiropractors and I was like, well, this is great. feels good on my ego, but it's not going to build a practice. You guys are going to drive six hours every week and uh, help them. They told some friends they, th- that they knew here. I started building community within the gym that I was going to and then also the jujitsu gym that I was going to. And so I just started meeting people and then we were at the farmer's market and we meet people there. And when, when you're authentic and when you're, when you just tell people what you do and you're, and you're straight up and you know that this stuff can help people. I think people can feel that conviction behind it. There's some power behind it. And they're like, do you have an office? And I would say, no, right now I'm practicing out of my house. And they're like, that's cool. Can I make an appointment? (laughs) So I was literally making appointments on my Google calendar, texting people with my phone for every bit of about six months. And it got to the point where I got so busy, I couldn't see people in my house. And so I had a little closet inside the jujitsu studio that smelled like, like dirty gym clothes. And before our office was even open, I was seeing about 20 to 30 a day outside of this little closet by myself where people had to walk into the gym, take off their shoes, walk across the mat, go to this dark room with a skylight and they hardly turned on the AC. So it was about like 80 degrees inside the building, but people still showed up. They referred and then it just took off. And so I was like, if people are willingly coming to my house to see me and coming to see me in this dirty gym to come, not, not to talk bad about the gym, but it was a dirty gym. Like it's coming to the gym to see me wait till this office opens. And and that's what I just kept saying. Like, it's going to materialize. This is where we're going to be. And in that time where I was seeing patients and building a referral structure and building a network and, and just meeting a community, we were in the background putting together this office, like looking for the office, trying to find the right space, the right pricing. And then we finally found it. And then we really launched it and, and went full speed. Yeah. As soon as you say that, the, uh, 
they say that everything that physically exists is created twice. Once it's created in your mind, then it's created in reality. And so it's true that you have to create that, that space in your mind. And even though you can see it and your patients can't, you know it'll be okay in the end. Um, but I also think that it probably was easier for you to visualize it and see it because you had already worked for a while. And for me, when I was in school, I tried so hard to visualize what my first office would look like, but I couldn't because I didn't know what it should look like. I didn't know what the possible, I didn't know what the options were. I didn't know what the preferences, I didn't know anything. So it was like, it was like a Swiss cheese kind of imagining where I'm like, well, there'll be a door and there'll be some windows, but I, like you have these blanks where you don't really know for sure, but you run into the struggle of thinking, well, I'm not even sure how I should arrange the room and how big of a room do I need? And so my first office had one small adjusting room and one gigantic adjusting room. I figured one way or another it'd be okay. And they actually worked out, but it's like, you don't really know those things, but I'm sure that made it a lot easier because in your head, you could see how it was materializing. And there's something about that whole visualizing that the more clear the image becomes in your head, the better it will be in reality. Um, how do you feel about it now that it's all done? I mean, I feel great and I totally believe that. I, I think you, there's a gestation period with everything. Like there's a gestation period, like how you how you grow a tree, how a baby is made, j just the same as a practice. So it's like, mm -hmm. you have to really physically see it in your mind. There's no gestational marker that you can say, like if you start picturing it in your mind, a hundred days from now, it's gonna appear in front of you. And it is like hanging on to that belief of like, I know that I'm going to have a practice. I know roughly what I need. And then as I start making steps forward, that vision gets clearer and clearer and clearer. And then as you're putting systems underneath it, you got to move your feet. You can't just hope that it just shows up. Um, but as you create that clarity in your mind, you're like, I know where I'm going and it's going to materialize in front of me. But there's really no timeline in front of that. And I think that's where a lot of people can get discouraged, especially if they've never lived it before. Like you don't know entirely how to set up the room, what your artwork going to be like. Do you going to have x-ray? Are you going to refer out for x-ray? Do you need office staff in the beginning? Do you wait a little bit and build up momentum? So it's there's so many what ifs when it comes to practice. Like what kind of paperwork do you need? Are you going to do a build out? How much is this going to cost you? The capital, like there's, there's so many things you can get caught up and make this list of like a checklist essentially. But if you create the checklist, the checklist never ends. So it's like, if you wait till every box is checked to open your practice or to say that your office is ready, it'll never open. So you really just have to go do it, hang on to that idea. And then it does materialize as you're moving your feet and getting things done. Yeah. And I know not everybody would, would think to see patients before they even started, but because you were seeing patients in your house before you started, how many patients did you have by the time you actually moved into the office? We were probably seeing, on average, about 20 to 25 a day. <laughs> at your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah at my house. And, and so I made it pretty... The practice. <laughs> <laughs> I made it pretty constricted, too. I only worked about three, four days, like three and a half days a week, because I, I, I want people in my house all the time. Like, <laughs> and, and I was still just getting to know people. And, and I don't think a lot of people realize the gravity of when you move your life, especially like as an adult. Like mm -hmm. and when you're in college or when you're high school going to college, you don't have a lot of roots. So when you're, when you're moving like your family and you're leaving your business and, and your partner's leaving their business, it's, there's a lot of moving parts and your head ends up spinning quite a bit when you destabilize all your habits and we're habit creatures. So it's like, if, if you destabilize a hundred percent of your habits and about 90% of your life is habits, like you better be quick to try to reinstate some of those. That way you feel a little bit more anchored and you can produce. So yeah. it's, it was me learning that aspect of like, why don't I feel good? Why am I tired all the time? Like it's, I have to use 
my Google map to get anywhere. I don't know how to get to the grocery store or the gym, or I don't know anybody. So it's like you create all these new patterns and that what that, those are what anchor you. And then you're able to build on top of those. Cause you got to feel good before you build practice. Yeah. I know there are people that listen to this who are probably open, going to open their own practice or want to open their own practice. So let's go back to um, Pasadena since you have had that experience first. Were there things when you were leaving Pasadena that you said to yourself, I'll ask you both questions now. Um, here's something I never want to do again. And were there things that you said, here's something I will absolutely do the next time because it made such a huge difference? Oh, that's a good one. So Pasadena was an interesting one because I was able to walk into an office and I was basically just renting space. And I was with Dr. Ping at the time. Dr. Ping is great. Like he's taught generations of chiropractors and he, he treated me extremely well. So I, I just paid him, paid him a percentage to a cap and then everything else was basically like mine. Um, so I had very, very low overhead and I, I knew the gravity of keeping your overhead low. We had x-ray in-house, which I really enjoyed just being able to take my own x-rays. We did have paper files, which I ditched right away. So that takes up a lot of space. We had analog films, ditched that right away. Um, we had staff and that I walked into that he was taking care of and, and having staff really does drive your practice. Like it, it, it helps a lot. It, you already wear a ton of hats as an owner. So having someone to greet someone in the office and create that first impression that you can trust that you don't need to always keep an ear out for making sure that they're not making mistakes that you have to clean up later. Um, so really what I wanted to bring with me was having a solid foundation of systems of how to keep track of patients, scheduling, electronic health records, and then also having digital x-ray in office. And so a lot of that transferred over. What I did in the beginning, which I think a lot of doctors do this, or maybe I've just seen a lot of doctors do this. I gave a lot of discounts in the beginning, like when I was first starting, because I was I wasn't sure of my skill and what's interesting when you start a practice, you attract the population that you are most like. I was a 25 year old doctor and most people when they're 25 are kind of broke. And so I wanted to build a practice and not a lot of people can afford 60 bucks twice a week or 60 bucks, three times a week, depending on the need and 260 bucks for a, for a, a new patient visit and you want to get them better. And so I brought forward a lot of yes, out of goodwill, like, Hey, like I will see you at a reduced rate. And yes, I, I do believe there should be exceptions. Like you can take care of families pro bono or whatever you want, if there's like hardships. But I brought a lot of that uh, forward in my first practice where I was like, I just took care of people and made these relationships within gyms and within um, people that were my age that expressed they had, they wanted to come see me, but it was tough. And now I've started to understand the value of like the more, the more you value yourself and the more someone has to physically pay for, the more they pay attention. So it's like the more they invest in what they're actually getting, the more they are all in with you. Cause really we can't do it all. We're the guide. We, we help them a lot. We, we fix their spine, but a lot of people are so sick nowadays. It's like, they need to set up those pillars really like, okay, start sleeping, start like drinking water, stop eating junk. And I, I've, I found out through, experiment that the less people paid, the less people paid attention. And so it's like, I think your results get quite a bit better, the more people are invested. And that's not to say like, overcharge people or, or never make exceptions, but also know your value, wear your value and believe it that way other people believe it. And then the more people are going to want to make that investment to get better. And I think your results get better too.
Yeah, we were just talking about that in Costa Mesa, that the, uh, the ones who pay the most tend to be our best patients. And the ones who pay the least or the ones that we make exceptions for and bend over backwards for are the ones who always want more and are never happy and never satisfied and expect more of us. And, and it's just it's a funny dynamic. But you I think anybody in the country would observe the same thing. It's not regional. It's I guess it's just human nature. But there is something to that, that that there's if you don't see value, you don't treat it with value. If, mm-hmm. if there's no value placed on it, then you treat it like it has no value. So there's definitely something to that. Yeah. And I think there's something in healthcare where we all come from it with a good heart and we want to help as many people as we can. And there might be some underlying paradigm or belief that like making money at this when it really is like a, like a public service good might not be in line with running a business, but it's totally in line with running a business. So the more you value yourself, the more they will value you, the more they will value their health, the more they will value like telling the world that, this is the guy or this is the, this is the gal to go to cause they will get you better and the price won't matter. Yeah. It, it wasn't always this way during my career, but somewhere along the line, somebody, probably a politician started telling people that healthcare was a basic human right. And when people hear basic human right, that means somebody owes me something. And so that started this mentality of I go to the doctor and they owe me something. Or we've also said that sometimes patients pay us and they think that because they pay us, we're now their slave to do as they command. And I think that all came from that concept of a basic human right. And it's like, well, no, you have the right to have access to care. Nobody should cut you off from care, but it doesn't mean that you have access to having your own personal um, like concierge doctor for free. <laughs> That's not a right. So yeah, there's some kind of a balance in that, but I've noticed that change in the time that I've been in practice, that there's a, there's been a mentality change in how people think about that. So you're right. We have to keep some kind of balance so we don't throw ourselves off and become useless to everybody. Mm -hmm, absolutely and just making sure that that like your i heard this said a long time ago making sure your 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 healing hand your doctor hand does not meet your business hand so it's like knowing that your value is here and what i'm giving them is here then also speaking from a value proposition aspect of like getting paid what you're worth like yes healthcare no one should be denied healthcare especially if they need it and it doesn't mean that it should be paid for by someone else so that's completely different having access and having the having it paid for you is way different. Yeah. Yeah. I know with uh, Pasadena, one of the ways you built it was um, just going out and, and talking to people. Like I went on some events with you where you go out and there'd be some gatherings. So we just go and hang out and you just chat with people. And it really was very low key. And it was like, there was no expectation. It wasn't like this. I'm going to go to this thing and I'm going to recruit a dozen patients. It was just, I'm going to go hang out with these people and talk to them. They're all kind of interested anyway. They want to know what I do. And at the end of the night, maybe you had 10, maybe you had zero, but it didn't really matter because you were going to do it and you were going to do it again and again and again, and it would pay off. Did you do something similar to that in, in Nashville as well? Very similar. Um, I think just because of my personality, I don't, I don't see myself as the person that's going to go to the health fairs. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. Uh, I'm not the person to go do spinal screenings. I don't, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with them. They just don't align with me. Um, and my biggest thing is I've always come forth with the business philosophy of like people buy your why people buy you. And if they like you, if they're likable and if they know, like, and trust you, they don't even, it doesn't even matter what you do. It, they're going to become a customer or they're going to become a patient. So being like, do they know you? Do they like you? Do they trust? Like they don't need to trust in what you do, but do they trust you as a physical person? And that's what, what I just kind of built it on. So it's like, I would go, I would meet people. I would be genuinely 
trying to just create community. Like, what do you do? Oh, that's really cool. How can I help you? Like the, you're going to start a business. And, and so it just kind of organically turns into that. And then all of a sudden, whether it's them or their 60 year old mother, they're going to think of you. They're going to be like, I met this guy. He was great. And they might not even ever become a patient, but they might refer you a ton of patients just because they liked you. And so it's, I, I came at it with that as like, I'm in this for the long run. Like it's very easy to acquire and, and have an outbound access to patients who get 20, 30, 40, 50 new patients and really grind and hustle and go get them. And you can do it organically where you're, you're creating these deep, meaningful relationships with people. Like you don't need to invite them over for Christmas, but you, when you meet them, you know them. And, and that's, and that's a way that they're always going to think of you as that guy that does whatever you do or that girl that does whatever you do. And so, and that's just the same philosophy that I brought here. It's like, I don't need to market my ass off. I just need to, to show up and just be kind to people and, and you make money where you spend money. So be a part of a gym, go get your hair done X, Y, Z. Like there's a ton of things that we do. We require goods and services as well. So it's like, we can't do it alone and you don't need to be the hard salesman the whole time. Yeah, you know, it's something we haven't talked about a lot, a lot on this podcast over all these years is the idea that um, that when you're meeting people and you know being part of your community, that that's probably one of the first things people are judging about you is, are you trustworthy? Do I trust this person? Because uh, as much as we may not like it, the word chiropractor comes with a connotation, and there are and like any doctor, there are there are ones who are not trustworthy. Um, I know dentists who aren't trustworthy. I know medical doctors who aren't trustworthy. So it comes with it. So the patient has to make a determination: is this one of the trustworthy ones or not trustworthy ones? Um, and it's hard because how do you communicate to somebody that you're trustworthy or more importantly, how do you even know that you are trustworthy? <laughs> so you have to be it if you, if you can, and then you have to show it if you can. Um, and, and that's a hard thing to do. Um, what, is there anything particular you do or what do you think it is about it that makes people think that, that makes people then have confidence that maybe, maybe you can help them, you know, hmm. that's a I'm good not sure one. I know. <laughs> I'm not sure that there's a strict, there's a direct question because there's a lot of things that go into trust. Uh, it's it's definitely like a marker of your character, and I think how trustworthy you are is also related to your conviction in what you do. And so, like, how much will do you have in what you do? So it's like I have full conviction and, and trust that I trust myself to be the best chiropractor, but be the best doctor. And I have full trust that I can be a, a good person. So I can, I can show up when people actually need me to show up and it's not an ego thing. Uh, people can smell ego from far away and trust is a biological thing. So we're pretty much able to know, this is an interesting thing. Psychologically, women are able to tell within the first 90 seconds of them meeting a male, whether or not they can spend their life with them. And there's a couple different factors that go into it. one is pheromones and pheromones are just you smelling their genetics and smelling their immune system. That's, that's an unconscious thing. And trust is also built within tribes like male to male. Like I may not like you, but can I trust you to not stab me in the back? And can I trust you to go on the hunt tomorrow? So it's a deeply biological primal thing that almost, I don't even think we have words for yet. And so it's like when you just hold yourself accountable and, and you have uh, discipline within yourself to actually set up those foundations of, do I take care of my health? Do I take care of my family? Do I, do I show up to things on time? And so it's, you build it kind of through your habits and through your, the way you present yourself in public. And then it just kind of bleeds over to everything else that you do. Cause then people start assuming this person's trustworthy in business. This person's trustworthy as a doctor, this one, as a, as a friend and, and it really just all bleeds over but it's, i think it's deeply primal and biological in our brains 
Well, and what, what you're saying, what I'm hearing is um, uh, living a life of consistency. Mm. Because I think if you're inconsistent with yourself, that's gonna people are gonna see you in different scenarios. And if they see inconsistency, that kind of makes them go, huh, one of the two is an act. But when you can live a life of consistency, people go, they're always the same. They don't really change. So what I see is probably what I get. And that probably helps with that. Yeah. Um, but that does kind of segue us into the next thing that I want to talk about, because um, you made this change and then you can tell everybody what you told me about how fast this office grew um, compared to Pasadena. Yeah. Um, I mean, this this place has been awesome. Franklin's been so good to us. I have uh, have not done it alone. I've had a lot of people helping me. But in we've been open since last officially open since last September, soft opening at the end of July. My office in Pasadena was open for maybe three and a half years. We have now two and a half times the the gross profit and the revenue. And I don't even know what the patient count is. I, I can get that. But over the course of 10 months, we have been able to exponentially scale way more and faster than what I did in Pasadena. And I don't think it's because what I'm doing is necessarily even different. I feel like I am different. Yeah. So that's what we were talking about. And that's the thing we, we need to go into is that um, at, at the most basic level, you're now a doctor with three years of experience as opposed to Pasadena when you weren't. So how do you feel like those things have changed? How do you feel like you are a different doctor? The communication is a big one. And when you first come out of, out of school, they school does a great job in teaching you how to what is it? A plogger always says a doctor in posology. <laughs> and uh, so you get, to, you get all the big words and you know how to pass the tests and you know, the orthopedic tests and, and hopefully you're in some um, technique, ideally Gonstead that you're around real doctors and, and hearing real language and hearing real stories about them or even being in their office and seeing them do what they do and interact with their patients. But there's usually very little of that relative to the class time. And so I've had, a lot of time to develop the way that I communicate. And so I'm able to create accurate patient expectations. I'm able to kind of meet people where they're at. If people are in dying pain, like I'm able to hold space. If people are just there to, to optimize their performance, I know how to speak to that. If they're looking for just their whole health being turned around. So it's like you see so many different things and, and how do you communicate on the, their level? And everyone is, is coming at a place of either pain or, curiosity or skepticism and, it, and you learn how to approach each one of those personalities or each one of those mental states along with learning how to approach each personality. So you, in, in essence, become more honed and more whole as a human because you've had more experience and, and really nothing trades, like nothing takes away experience from you. Like you can restart a practice, but you, you know what you know, and nobody can take that away from you. And I guess one of the big things, if you are just starting an office, like be kind to yourself and also just get really good at holding space and trying to read people in front of you. So it's the more you understand psychology and yes, we're working with the spine, but if you start to understand their mind first, you will be able to meet them where they're at. You'll speak the same language and then you're able to help them exponentially more. They don't need to hear the doctor words or the flashy things or do all the orthopedic tests. Like they just want to feel better. Like they like be direct, get them better and be confident in what you do. Cause you're going to like, if you don't help them as a Gonza doctor, nobody will help them. So having that in, in, in you, like in your cells, knowing that I'm the one, this person's in front of me and no one else can help them but me. 
So I better figure this out. And almost like putting this pressure on yourself to not in a pressure in like a deleterious way, but a pressure in essence of forcing yourself, forcing yourself to expand and grow to the occasion. And when you do that hundreds of thousands of times, you just kind of show up to the office and you be. So it's it's like, there's a, there's a knowing and then there's a doing and there's a becoming. And I think when we come out of school, we know what to do, but we haven't done it enough. And then you do it several hundred or several thousand times. You're like, okay, now I'm doing it. Uh, but it's very much an on switch. And then, then there's that next threshold, which I think I'm even crossing another threshold as I'm talking about this now, like you become this, this force in practice that like you are the person that's going to get them better and you believe it and they believe that you believe it. And then all of a sudden they become raving fans because happy, happy patients don't refer. You need raving fans. Mm -hmm. Like they need to have so much uh, conviction by what you do. You have to change their life because people are used to good and good is kind of bitter. Yeah, it's true. If they come in to have you get rid of their pain and you get rid of their pain, all you did was give them what they expected. That's actually probably not enough to get a referral out of that. You got to do more than that. You got to make it a better experience. You got to go beyond it because meeting people's expectations won't usually get them to refer. You got to do a little bit more. Um, I I know this is probably the question that a lot of students would have, but how do you feel your uh, adjusting has changed and do you feel like your results have changed? Yeah. Um, when, when I came out of school, I thought I was a strong adjuster and looking back, I, I was terrible. I had a patient. She's, she was amazing. She stuck with me. I saw her in student clinic and she followed me into practice. So I was in practice in Pasadena from 2016 to 2020. And she saw me the whole time. <coughs> and I remember asking her in probably mid to 2020 before I even decided to leave. I was like, so you've been with me a while and we had, we had a good relationship. And I was like, why did you stick with me? I was terrible. Like, like four years ago, I, I couldn't move anything on you. And she was like, yeah, but you tried really hard. And I believe that you knew how to help me. And, and just like they'll, they'll sense that effort and they know you want to help them. Um, but my adjusting has changed night and day. I mean, your speed gets better. Your body mechanics get better. If you do this right, like your body does not break down. Um, so it's, it's really getting the motor skills and, and nothing replaces the repetition. So mental repetitions are big. Watch the videos, go to the seminars, like really fine tune and critique and, and figure it out. And then when you put it to action, you put it to the, the actual test of, can you set this herniated thoracic? Cause you're only going to get one shot. Uh, can you set this L5 on the knee chest? If you sting them, they're probably not going to come back. Like, so it's, it's, it isn't until you have those patients in your office that do make you sweat the challenger skills that really send your skills for that next leap. And so it's, I feel like I'm a lot better and I'm sure five years from now and 10 years from now, I'll laugh that I thought I was this good. Like it's, you will. You yeah, will. My, but, <laughs> well, I yeah. know it's funny is the biggest improvements that I've made in technique always happen because I hurt myself, mm. which is stupid. And apparently I hurt myself a lot, but between breaking toes and other weird things that I've done, I hurt my ribs it forces you like if I, I've, I had a skiing accident where I, I cracked some ribs. So, but I needed to go to work. So I had to figure out how to adjust side posture. And I had my ACE bandage wrapped up my ribs so that I could deal with it under my scrubs and I'm ready to adjust people. And, um, but I had to keep my technique really clean because if I got a little too off center, it stung like crazy. So I had to get all nice and technique specific. And then once the ribs got better, I was like, 
but I should just be doing that anyway. So I kept the focus. What it showed me was the level of detail I need to focus on everything that I did. But you tend to do that when you have an injury you're trying to protect. You don't do it as much when you're like, I'm just going to let things fly. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that, not that you need to get injured, but if you can imagine how you would do it if you had an injury, how you might protect yourself, it's that kind of focus to make sure every line of drive of every limb, everything you're doing is all matched together. And then as you focus on that level, all of a sudden things start moving better and patients start getting better quicker and faster and more pronounced. And it just, it just grows and grows and grows. So yeah, there's no doubt if you're doing this right, I don't think you could do it right and not look back and think I was terrible because yeah. you should be growing at that rate. And I think that if you look back and was like, no, I was really awesome 20 years ago, <laughs> then you probably aren't any better now than you were 20 years ago. So that's probably not the direction to go. So that's good that you, you think that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's been an interesting evolution. Just your, your body mechanics change. And, and I've been hurt a couple of times where it's like I hurt a wrist, but nothing, nothing actually prepares you for when like a patient hurts you. And mm -hmm. where it's like they, they like a classic one is like an EX ilium. Like, so if you're going to pull an EX ilium, you're very vulnerable. And, I, and I've had someone roll away from me because I got scared and I tweaked my L5 and I felt that thing clunk. And I was like, oh no. And it was, I remember it was like 10 a.m. We were going till 5.30. I was like, I guess I better just figure this out. But I also learned, I'm like, if someone's going to hesitate and I'm in this vulnerable position, I got to let go. And so it's like, you start to learn where is your, your stretch point like in adjusting patients so they don't hurt you or you don't hurt yourself trying to help them. And then also figuring out like, do you even help them off the bench? Like, am I a smaller person? Am I going to push this thing or am I going to pull it or am I going to put it on the knee chest? So it's like you start to modify and you start to change things all within the system because the system works as long as you apply it correctly. It's just like until you've been put in these different positions where it's like, no, I got hurt like that or I am hurt. Like, let me figure out a different way. And then also when you're forced into that box where it's like, I can't do side posture because I can't bend over without my feet going numb. Okay. I better get really good at setting things on the high low today. I better get really good on the knee chest today. So it's, you have that grace, which is in the system, which is awesome. And then also forced you to grow a little bit. And then I, I believe like if I got hurt, and I still had to show up to work. Maybe I just need a little bit of empathy that day. I needed to remember what low back pain felt like, or I need to remember what neck pain felt like, like, because mm -hmm. you see it all day. So you kind of get uh, a little jaded from it. So it's, oh, it's another neck pain. It's all, oh, it's another ridiculous to the pinky or the thumb. Like, so it's, it becomes almost trivial. I think that's almost the plight of the Gonzo doctor. You're expecting something really bad. And so it's, you not that you lose empathy, but it loses the gravity. And then you experience it again. You're like, oh man, this does suck. Like I, I better get really good at fixing these because I don't want to expand suffering in the world. Let's, let's get better at fixing these now. So it's, I've used that as momentum in my mind as well. Yeah, that, that, that is true. You, yeah. You see people come in and they're in different situations and I don't, I don't know that I'm ever not empathetic, but, um, but it does become kind of routine that I expect you to be bad and I expect to be able to get this adjustment and I expect you to get better. And so sometimes I think that might get read the wrong way as being like a lack of empathy, but no, it's, I know what to do and I'll get it done and we'll be okay here in the end and, and, yeah. and making sure that it doesn't come across the wrong way in that thought process. Yeah. Um, as you, uh, as you moved to, Na to Nashville and you started setting up your rooms, did you, did you, uh, 
Did you do anything different with your, because people always ask room selection. How do you set up your rooms? Where do you put your tables? Did you have any ideas that you thought, well, I'm going to do this a little different? Because I know at Dr. Ping's office, the rooms were not very large. (laughs) (laughs) If you and I were in a room together, we had to do like a little, uh, a little uh, salsa dance. We're dancing. <laughs> positions. So, um, so what did you do in Nashville to make that? Uh... Uh, rooms are way bigger. And, and I kind of uh, made it a, a statement in my mind. I'm like, when I go somewhere and I open an office, I am never moving furniture ever again. Because it got to the point where I was like, I had to pull the knee chest away from the pelvic bench to use the pelvic bench or pull it away to use the knee chest. And I had to move the chair sometimes uh, in the high law. Obviously, that's not going to go anywhere. So that's that's a big thing. So it's I did my best to try to create the layout in a way that it would be smooth. One, for speed, because patients are going to follow you around and your patient flow is, is dictated by you. And then also, I didn't want to bend over or be knocking tables like all day with my knees. So like that wears you down too. So it's, yeah, lifting the knee chest with your foot once doesn't suck, but doing it 60 times four days a week, it's not great. Uh, so it's I, I made it quite a bit bigger. Um, being outside of LA, I think we just have access to bigger office space too. And w- what was interesting is um, we found this office and it was, it was already a chiropractic office. Um, but it was not well kept. And the main thing that sold us is it already had a lead lined room. And mm-hmm. so that is really, I was like, we can, we can tear down walls, we can paint, we can pull up flooring, we can throw up a new desk, we can do a lot of things. But if we save 50, hundred grand on lead lining a room, that's worth the rest of the build out. And so we found luckily big rooms. We cut a hole in some, cut a hole in a wall, threw up new paint, threw up new flooring. And just by sheer luck that it wasn't well kept and we turned it bright and beautiful, uh, we got lucky with a bigger space. So that's one of those, see it in your mind, see the potential. Um, and, and really just ask doctors that are already doing it. Like, what do they think? How much do you think you need? Do you want to expand and have more than one doctor? Like, where do you really want to take your, your office? And then it doesn't need to be the, the dream office from the beginning. Um, but really have an idea of where you want to go. Yeah. I think that's actually a great caution is at this point, I would say don't build your dream office at the beginning. Um, cause you can't fill it anyway that your dream is probably a little bigger than, than you are. So it's, it's better to take those stepping stones and kind of, I, I think as humans, we need to earn our way up to things. We don't need to be giving big things we haven't gotten to yet. So it's good to pay your dues and earn your spot, but you can end up with a big office and a high overhead and no patience and you can't live up to it anyway. So it's, it's good to grow as you need to. Uh, I know when you moved to Nashville, you left thinking I'm now a doctor with some experience and you had three years of experience. When you got to Nashville, was there anything you encountered that you weren't prepared for that you thought, wow, I've never faced this before. I guess as far as, as patients or as, as like a business owner, kind of in both because it was a little different situation as far as the business owner, but then also patients do vary a little from place to place. And so um, things can be a little different with patients. Here, I see way more kids, way more kids and way more moms. And even though I did see some in L.A. enough, and now I just see a ton. And now I see full families. And I think being able to meet people, again, meet people where they're at. Are you seeing their their newborn? Are you seeing their 7-year-old, 11-year-old? Like, am I going to sit on the floor with them so I'm on their level and so they feel comfortable? So I learned a lot of that aspect too, which these are things that I had already done, but now I'm doing them a lot more. So it's like you make it welcoming for 
the little people and also the adults. Um, as a business owner, I remember when uh, Bobby sent me the checklist of everything we needed for the office, and it was like this two-page thing, and even down to run the Cat Five wires. And I'm like, I don't even know what Cat Five wires are, and <laughs> and and so like the next day, sure enough, I'm throwing the I'm up in the rafters, like lifting the the actual ceiling, throwing the cat wires from the front of the office to the back of the office to feed it into the box, and so it's there was a lot of things that I was not aware of because I walked into an already built office mm-hmm. and, and had that luxury. Yes. The office was built in the seventies or eighties whenever it was built, uh, but it was fully functional and it was great. And so this was like, we're coming bare bones. We had walls and we had a desk that we even tore down and rebuilt. So it's like, we're, we're throwing lines, we're cutting the holes in the wall. So I was very much like out of my comfort zone. Cause I've never done home improvement and never really done anything like that and got to the point where we're even like cutting electrical out of the wall. So we're looking up YouTube and figuring out how to do that safely. So it's, I was not prepared for like the, the actual mechanical parts of putting together an office, especially if you're going to do it yourself. And then also just expanding your practice as your skill set practices and, and just changing your communication lines. I think those are the two things that I've noticed a lot of growth in. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you ever came here to see it because I think when you last time you were here, I hadn't done it yet. I built a whole wall <laughs> and ran electricity through it and have a TV on the other side of it so it's all hidden. Yeah, it's like you basically become uh, a home improvement specialist on the side um, in order to take care of your office. And, and you're right, there's simple things like that that a lot of us, you just kind of, hopefully you know it, but you learn it as you go and you can YouTube almost anything if you run into a problem and, oh, yeah. and we just got to repair our own offices and make things happen. I remember so, I was like, I don't even know how to pull up carpet. And, and I was like, okay, this carpet's glued down. What do I need to do for that? And so I'm looking up on YouTube and they're like, okay, get a knife and get a, get a snow shovel. So I'm wow. getting a, a snow shovel and pulling up this glued down carpet. Um, like at 5am cause we're getting new carpet at seven. So I'm figuring out a way to, to do it. So it's, you make it work. And that's also why it's like when you see it in your mind and you have that conviction and that will, you're going to figure it out. Like we become very uh, motivated when you are put under the gun. If you just leave it as a thought and it doesn't actually come into your, your subconscious and your belief structure that you can do it, you won't do it. Yeah. I did the same thing in here. My neighbor's toilet got clogged on a weekend and backflowed into mine. So my toilet overflowed and ran from the bathroom behind me halfway to the front door and the carpet was long shag grandma's carpet and it was no. so they brought in giant fans to dry it out and that just made it stink so i was like yep carpet's out so i did the same thing i almost almost dove in before i really was realized what i was doing ripped the carpet out um had the carpet pad and somebody went crazy with the carpet pad glue so i'm on the cement scraping it with a with a blade to get all that stuff up and then once that's done um i realized that my foundation was cracked so I had to get some, uh, so I had to fill in the cracks. Then once that was done, I had to go down to Home Depot and get some um, some pre-adhesive and you put that all over the floor and that kind of, le- it was like an auto leveler that leveled it out. And then I came in and put in all the flooring. And it was like, what's my job again? <laughs> that's, that's what you do because um, it needed to be done. And I couldn't have my office being all torn up. So I basically had to do it all in one weekend. It was like, I get done with my last patient on Friday and I lived here early in the morning to late at night because it had to be done by Monday. Yeah. And that's just kind of what you do. And if someone told you that you had to do that, you were third trimester in school or fourth quarter in school that 
You're, you're like, yeah, you're going to deal with an overflow toilet and you're going to have to rip up your carpet on Tuesday morning. And then Tuesday afternoon, you're going to have to see patients. Like you'd probably be like, ah, I could, I could do something else to make money. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, those are probably the ownership things that people don't talk about. And yet I think we all face them. I think anybody that's owner practice could come on here and tell stories about things like that. Um, yeah. When I was at life, I won't rat him out here. When I was on life, one of the doctors back there, I won't say his name. He had a problem with his office where he was trying to make a simple fix and it turned into it. Somebody busted a pipe and it flooded his office and, and it was like ruining it. Like it was a mess. So uh, yeah. And, and he didn't do anything wrong. It just, what happened is like, yeah, everybody's got a story. Everybody's yep. got a story. So you, if you're going to go into it, you kind of go into it like home ownership, knowing stuff's probably going to happen. And when it does, it's my responsibility and I'm going to have to fix it. So I better be prepared or be willing to pay for somebody else to do it. One of the two. Yeah. It's definitely a testament to adaptability. Like, like how adaptable are you to, to what's in front of you? If you, can, if you can be adaptable to the business ownership aspect and the, the, the home improvement aspect of it, you're going to be incredibly adaptable with patients. Like you're not going to be afraid of anything that comes in your office. Yeah. When it comes to like systems and procedures and even how you educate patients, um, have you, have you changed anything either intentionally or unintentionally about how you do that in your office now? Uh, I've actually changed that. I think the most, um, I thought in, you my, <laughs> in my old, my old office, honestly, my, my blueprint for running a practice was based off of three doctors. You being one of them, uh, you, Dr. Ping and, um, Jeremiah. You and Jeremiah have a great way with words and know how to say nothing and say a lot. And Dr. Ping says a lot. And he's been doing this so long that he's unconsciously competent. So when you ask him to explain what he did or why he did it, and he's just like, oh, you, you see it? You said it. You fix it. And so I'm like, but that doesn't help me. Like, that's not helping me right now. And so it's, you, you want to be around as many people that can articulate what they do. And then also the ones that can't articulate what they do. Cause that's a whole new level of, of, I guess, greatness. Um, and so I, my old office, I would just basically run an entire like day one, day two, I guess to use the lingo all in that first visit. So I would, uh, do the exam, gown, x-ray, explain like a quick narrative on the x-ray. This is what we found is we're going to fix. Okay good. Let's adjust. You'll be on your way. Now it's a lot more uh, patient education first, uh, where they come in and we have our, our front desk girl, Megan, she takes them on an office tour. It's kind of like when someone comes in your house, what do you do? You tour them around. So you want them to, this is where the bathrooms are. This is where our spinal imaging center is. This is where the exam room is. There's the adjusting room. So it's like, they get to know, they get a little brief on chiropractic, D Palmer, BJ, Gonstead. Um, and so they kind of get a little bit of a primer and what we do. And they're, they're kind of primed to like, okay, they, they, they want us to know. And so my whole thing is I want to give people the tools and the knowledge to, to access that freedom within their health and their life. And that goes in line with that. And then we, we, then I come in, I do the history gown, exam, x-ray, and then we adjust them on, on the first day. But I don't really do a narrative. I'll do a quick one. I'll be like, okay, remember I said we were going to do T2. Look, if, if you see that black area, okay, look at that black area. See how much bigger it is. See this? Okay, we're going to go after that today. And the next time you're here, I'm going to teach you exactly how to read these. That way you know what I'm doing. And so and then when they come in for the day two, it's about a 20-minute visit. Do a quick PowerPoint on day two. So they learn what a subluxation is, what nerve pressure is, how the spine gets nutrition, all those things. And then we look at the, their x-ray and using the Socratic method, I ask them, what do you see? 
And so they kind of tell me what they see. And then I just kind of help them along be like, okay, now, now you're understanding what we do. And they're like, and everyone loves it. They're like, this is great. No one's ever explained this to me before. I went to the ER and they said I was fine. They went, I went to this chiropractor or that chiropractor or this PT. And they just said it was a strain when really it's, it's always a deeper thing. I'm not saying it's a, it's a more complicated thing. It's just a more complex thing. So it's, it's really like understanding the why behind what you do. And then people again, see value. And so it's like, now, now you can make your suggestion. So it's like, okay, I want to see you twice a week for the next few weeks or three times a week for the next couple of weeks, like whatever your suggestion is like treatment plan dictated to the person. And so you just give a suggestion and then through that. And then I'm like, okay, sound great. Good. And so, and then we go adjust them. That's day two. And then day three is like office, office policy procedures. So they come in and they just say like, okay, if you're going to cancel, do it within 24 hours. Um, otherwise we'll charge you. We usually don't unless someone's like a repeat no show then we charge them 20 bucks to not show up um and so it's like they all cards are on the table they know how the office runs they know their treatment plan they know what chiropractic is they know who i am so like everything's on the table they know who we are and what we do and so there's no questions and we can fill in the rest as it goes because people are always going to have questions but so like we just over communicate over communicate over communicate and that way it's like they create we create understanders of chiropractic and then eventually it becomes believers of chiropractic as they start to see the results well, and that kind of, so that kind of leads me into my next question, which was, how are you getting patient, new patients now? And are they mostly referral? But that kind of jumps off of what you just said that I know if you're trying to get patients to refer, educated patients refer, uneducated patients have a much harder time. They might try to refer, but they have a harder time persuading people to do it. The more educated the patient is, the more they can overcome people's resistance and actually be able to complete the referral. So how are you getting new patients? Are you doing it by referral based on that education or are there other methods? 100% referral, 100% yeah. internal. And and I think one of the things that people might be, be able to relate to might not. In the beginning, when I didn't really have a lot of faith in what I was doing, like when I first started practice, asking for referrals was a little scary. And now it's like overtly like, hey, do you you're pretty happy with the results, right? Do you have anybody else we can help? or we're, we're still pretty new here. Like, do you have anybody in mind that we can, you can send our way and we give a complimentary consult. And so it's like, if you educate them in a way that, and I even make a joke, like during that day two, when they learn how to read x-rays, I'm like, congratulations, you know, more than 98% of the population. And you probably know 98, more than 98% of chiropractors. Like, and, and I just laugh and I'm like, this is a sad truth, but it just is. And so it's, we, we try to position it in a way where it's like, well, you, you put all the power into the patient. So you're not putting fear into the patient. You're you're giving them the tools to make the choices, and then we just kind of guide their way. So it's it's yes, it is. When you're in practice, it's sales. Like just look at it with it. People have bad connotations of it, but it really is sales. Like they don't know what they want emotionally. They they know what they want, but logically they don't they don't know how to get there. So your your job is to logically give them the tools so they can make those decisions. So if it was that easy to have patients come in your office, you wouldn't need to do anything. Like, so it's, it's really like educating that logic mind. Cause emotionally they want to feel better. Emotionally, they want to have a better life. Emotionally, they want to not have pain when they sit down, but logically what's going to help them. They've been told a million times like that they're going to be helped by something else and they weren't. So it's like really putting on that hat of like, it's not a sales hat where you're trying to be sleazy. It's a sales hat of like, this is what we do. And if you're happy with it, can you send more people? 
and it, and it really just is. It grows that way. Um, we haven't really done any external ads. Uh, we ran a little bit, but the saturation in Franklin and, and Nashville was like huge. And people were giving away like $25 free visit, $25 first visits, which is like x-ray adjustment, everything. And I'm like, that's not what we're going to do. Um, I never want to like cheapen exact cheapen what we do. Um, so internal has been the main, main thing right now. We do host events. We have a big back room area and I've become affiliated with some different, um, different groups local in the area, whether it's, it's more like a holistic healing mastermind. One of them is the, the young Republicans, they come and host things. So it's like different groups here and there that, that just ask if they can use the space. And I say, yeah, like, can I get up and say something for five minutes? And, and you just get up and do your five second spiel or, and meet people and then go back to the whole, do they like you? Do they trust you? Do they believe that you can help them? And it just, it just feeds itself. Yeah. So I think that um, in order for us to, the thing that drives us and keeps us moving forward is that we have to always have a goal in front of us. And so you have this huge thing in front of you and you've gotten there and it's still growing, but it's doing well. What's the next level? Like what's the thing way out in front of you now? Next level right now. Um, I, I taught in California a little bit. I want to teach a lot more. Um, we have the space for it. So I really just want to, I want to get back to the profession because one in the business aspect, because I think that's something that's largely ignored. And then the other other side would be like the clinical aspect of how do you read an x-ray, like really read an x-ray and know what you're looking at. Obviously not base everything off of the x-ray. Um, I know there's tons of resources out there <clears throat> to learn to adjust to the seminars and clin clinical case management. But if I can even just be a little fragment of that and help them with that a little bit and just say something different, because I'm still young. I can still speak their language. I'm not in that unconscious competent by any means. <laughs> I've had to uh, deliberately think and, and stay up several nights to think about how to help certain patients that are really complicated. And so um, I want to, I want to teach a lot more. I want to get a couple other doctors in there um, and get them going and help them succeed. So like, we really want to turn this, not just into an office, but like a really like a, a teaching center, a hope and healing center. So I want it to expand. I want to get a, at least two more doctors in there over the course of the next few years and then get interns and then make it a requirement that every doctor that's in there is also actively teaching. Cause I think that makes you a better doctor as well. Um, and then I have some, I have some other projects in the work right now. I want to relaunch my podcast and, and write a book. Uh, so, but that stuff is kind of backburnered right now, but right now it's full office and, and getting things moving. I think we might have our first intern starting in September, which will be great. Oh, good. Yeah, that's good. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I, I hope that was beneficial to people to, to hear about that process. Cause I know that this, it's the, uh, it's the great unknown that people go out into, and so the more we can kind of give them different glimpses of things, hopefully the, the easier that is for them to get started. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on, David. Anytime. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Gunner for joining me today. Hopefully you learned something that can help you for the future going forward. I have some other people lined up who have started practices in different parts of the country. So we'll continue to share their stories with you to help you gain confidence in starting your own practice. Until then, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next time. Thank <laughs> you.